Professor Solo, how are you doing today? Hi, Ronan. I'm glad to be here. You know, uh, you know, we had a wellness day yesterday. Got a little mental health break. You know, don't have a spring break this year, which kind of sucks. But you know, make the best of it with a day off. You know, you know, before you hopped on here today, you said you didn't really get a day off, which kind of you know, life of being a professor, I guess. Right. That's right. Yeah, you know, it happens to everyone. So, Professor Solo, um, before we kick off to you know. How you got into be a supply chain management professor at Penn State? Where did you like originally go to college? Well, uh, as fate would have it, I'm a Penn State grad. Uh, I graduated in 1994. I was a mathematics major, and uh, uh, I was also involved in ROTC while I was an undergrad. It's really interesting how you know supply chain management. As I'm learning about it from Professor Solo's class. There is a lot of mathematics behind it, so I'm sure that that helped you out going into that field, especially in mathematics in general. Like, there's, you know, I'm I've only taken Calc one, so I, I can't really speak for for anything else. But math, like they tell you that like these harder mathematic pl- classes are like really hard. Everyone said, oh, they're so stupid, I'm never going to apply it. But it uses your brain in like a different way because these are things that are really hard to figure out. And it's like a different kind of problem solving that people aren't used to solving before. Yeah, that's right. You know, for folks who end up taking the math classes, I, I think I looked back, I think I took 15 math classes as an undergrad to, to get the math major. Um, and, and I will never use some of that material that I covered for sure. Uh, but I have used some, but, but, but you touched on it, Ron, in, in, a, in an area like that, I find that it, it develops a certain way of thinking. So even if the course doesn't seem to- totally relevant, uh, and, I, and I, I'm sure I felt that a lot of the times in the classes I took, and I struggled in a lot of those classes, uh, it, it certainly developed the way I think. And, and sort of that, I hate to use the cliche of critical thinking because you hear that all the time, but it really did that. It made me learn how to think through a problem in steps, uh, and uh, and I use that today, of course, in, in a lot of the stuff that I do. So I think it's, you know, it's, it's very appropriate. Um, uh, and 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 I would I would advise students not to discount, uh, you know, taking a harder class like that, because you might learn something from it that you weren't quite expecting. Yeah, no, I like the way that you put that, because it's not at the end of the day, like you were saying, how how often am I going to use this really advanced mathematics skill once or twice, maybe, and that's it. But it really teaches you something else rather than, you know, critical thinking, using your brain in a different way that you haven't been using it before. And that's what's interesting about these harder level classes, though it is something that you might use once or twice in, you know, your college career, or professional career, that it gives you a different way of thinking. But you also said that you were involved in ROTC. So did you originally go into college thinking that's what you wanted to do? No, I sure didn't. Um, the summer before I started my freshman year, a family friend suggested that I look at ROTC uh, if for no other reason that there might be an opportunity to get a scholarship. And, uh, you know, that's, I mean, a scholarship can help anyone out in school, but I was in a position where that would have been a huge help to me. So uh, I looked into it as I arrived at Penn State. I had no intention of doing that beforehand, and uh, it ended up leading to a, a full career for me. Yeah, and that's really interesting. Like you, were, like you were saying, you know, at the beginning of it, you know, I thought I just needed the scholarship more than anything else. Like it wasn't something that I was originally going to pursue. And it's funny how, you know, full circle comes around. And like that's what you did after college originally, correct? That's right. 
Yeah. So that's what, that's why I think is really interesting. So what branch did you originally go into? Cause I know that ROTC here, I know that there's different, I, I think they're called branches. I'm not an expert or anything on that um, in the military process, but they have like different uh, branches that you get sectioned into. And then from there you kind of do work in those, in that branch. And then from there, they kind of set you up with a job. So what did you originally go into when you came to Penn state? Yeah. So in ROTC, you're able to choose the branch that you want to go into. So all the services have programs and at Penn state, we have a a fairly big ROTC presence here and we have for decades. Uh, So you can choose army, Navy, air force, Marine Corps, and now uh, the new space force too. So I went into air force ROTC um, and that was based on the recommendation of that family friend. And I didn't know a whole lot about it. Uh, but I started to like uh, the program itself, and I certainly made some really great friends who, are, who turn out to be lifelong friends. And I felt like that's where I belong. It gave me that sense of belonging my freshman year, which a lot of students are looking for, uh, whether they know it or not. And I didn't, I didn't join because I was looking for somewhere to belong. I joined for the reason I told you. Uh, but once I was in there, I decided this is where I want to be and this is what I want to do, even though at the time... I didn't quite know what what the uh, what the future would hold as far as my uh, jobs after college. And it's really interesting what you were saying that, you know, you don't go into something, you know, thinking about, you know, as originally you were saying, like I did it for the scholarship more than anything else. But what's nice about being a part of like an organization, especially when you're a freshman in college, like that bubble gets popped that you're used to your entire life. I mean, like, you know, you have your hometown friends and, you know, you might have a couple people from your high school that come to college, but at the end of the day, you're looking to, you know, reach out, make some new friends, meet some new people. That's what college is about. And what's cool about ROTC, athletics, clubs, different organizations, organizations and all that, it really opens you up to these new groups of friends. And like you were saying, they could become your lifelong friends because, you know, you really didn't know them, especially college is a hard time for a lot of students and a lot of, you know, I, like, I don't like, I think the real term is kids. I think you're a kid till you're like 25, 23, whenever it is, because 48. you're still getting, yeah, <laughs> you're still getting used to life. Like that's like the whole point, like college more than anything else. It teaches you how to, you know, live on your own. And, right. you know, there is an educational process to it and that's great. But there's also other things outside of the classroom that college is really good at teaching people. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And, and, and I found I found a lot of that through, through my involvement in the ROTC program. Yeah, it's like finding your little, you know, Penn State and some other colleges are huge and seem overwhelming to, you know, students when, you know, when you're going over like your college visits and you're like, wow, this is a big university. I can't really see that here. But the right. thing is, you have to find your little niche within the college. Like your yeah. niche was ROTC. I was a cheerleader up until like two weeks ago. And it gives you like a sense of, belonging, put that in air quotes, but it gives you a group of people that you can, you know, go through the rest of college with. So um, skipping forward a little bit. So what did you think, you know, ROTC really taught you besides, you know, having good friends, um, you know, giving you an opportunity to stay at Penn State with the scholarship? What else did you think it taught you in terms of, you know, life lessons or things like that? Well, I started uh, being in a program like that. I started to realize that I was I was joining. This is this is also going to sound a little cliche, Ronan, but I joined something that was bigger than just me. 
Um, I was in an organization that I didn't really know what my Air Force job or jobs would be after I graduated, but I was in an organization where uh, we all sort of had the same mission. And we were all, uh, regardless of what our jobs were, we were all doing this kind of for the same purpose. And that's for the, you know, kind of defending the country, that sort of thing. And, uh, and then you really feel like you're on a team and, and you're all kind of driven, you know, maybe for various reasons, but you're driven toward the same purpose. And, uh, you know, maybe I didn't say that kind of thing when I was 20 or 19, but in hindsight, I can look back and say, Heck yeah, you know, my, my friends and I, we were all really excited about what we were doing. We were excited about the prospect of a military career ahead of us. Uh, a lot of folks were excited to, at the opportunity to maybe go fly in the military. And um, and there was sort of this sense of adventure that was coming ahead. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. I like what you were saying about how, you know, we all had our own personal reasons for doing ROTC or whatever, you know, you could put that into anything, own personal reason to join a club. But at the end of the day, you know, there's this prime mission that everyone has subconsciously in the back of their head, like, like joining ROTC, you know, defending the country, helping, you know, serve and protect, you know, the United States of America, which is awesome. But the thing is, everyone had this goal subconsciously, you know, I know you're not thinking of it 24 hours of the day or like that. But it's something to work towards and that everyone can get behind in that organization, which is really awesome. And that's like that's a crucial part to any team, really. Everyone needs to be driven towards a similar goal in order to achieve the things they want to achieve. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. So now, like, so after graduating college, what did you do with I know that you went into the Air Force Academy there. So what was that like for you? Well, I'll give you a quick rundown of, of the jobs that I did. Um, you know, you can't really see ahead of like the next job that you're getting into. So when I graduated, uh, uh, I actually had about a six month break after graduation until they could have a spot for me on active duty. So I went home to the Pittsburgh area and just worked in construction for a summer. Uh, I'd already graduated and I, I wasn't really looking for any kind of long term position anywhere. So I just went and did some and kind of some fun summer work. And then uh, in November, I was uh, I got my orders and I went uh, to Goodfellow Air Force Base in Texas, where I attended uh, Air Force Intelligence Officer training. So that lasted about nine months. And I left there and went to uh, Osan Air Base in South Korea. And I'd never been overseas before. And so my first overseas experience was moving overseas, uh, which was which was really exciting, especially going to a place um, that was really different than, you know, where I'd been in, in, in different than my comfort zone. Let's put it that way. Um, so I spent a year over there and absolutely loved it. Worked with awesome people, um, folks who were, were totally, uh, dedicated to the mission, had a lot of, had a lot of fun, traveled a lot, uh, learned a lot for sure. And then, uh, at the end of that year, I came back to the U S uh, worked in Washington, D.C. Um, at uh, the Defense Intelligence Agency for uh, three years and kind of got to see a whole different side of, of uh, the military and worked in uh, in conjunction with a lot of civilians, which I hadn't done before because I was in a strictly military unit and uh, really enjoyed that. Got to do some more traveling and then um, and then I kind of switched gears in the Air Force and I went into a different career field. I went into what we call acquisition program management. 
So you can think of that as sort of a mix of research and development and procurement, uh, that sort of thing, logistics. That's where I started to get a little taste of uh, supply chain management. And I went up to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in, in Dayton, Ohio. Um, and I had a, a uh, well, I had a couple of jobs up there. The first I worked in um, a system program office. So this is a, an office that manages the um, development of aircraft systems. And I worked on the F-15 fighter program. So uh, I helped develop some software for that jet so that it can drop certain weapons. And then I also helped manage the production of new jets. Uh, and what's interesting there, Ronan, was I was in my mid to late 20s and I was managing a program that was valued at uh, $750 million. And that was uh, intimidating. Um, I didn't feel like I was really qualified to balance my own checkbook at that point, let alone uh, the government's checkbook of almost a, a billion dollars. So now I wasn't writing the checks, okay? But I was responsible for day-to-day -day, uh, activities that, that, um, uh, where that money was on the line. And that is a huge responsibility. And I started to realize at that point that that's one thing that the military does, regardless of the branch. Um, the military is very good at heaping uh, huge amounts of responsibility on young people. And, and I mean that in a good way, uh, because I think that my peers at that point outside of the military probably were not in uh, equivalent positions. Uh, my counterpoint in the civilian side, so the, the, the program manager on the, uh, the military contractor side that I was working with, uh, this guy was like in his 50s, had been doing this job for 30 years, and here I was in my, in my mid-20s uh, as his counterpart. So there was a lot of learning to do, uh, but what a great experience. And, and at that point, I said, you know, I think I need to start thinking about graduate school, uh, because as a military officer, you're probably not going to progress beyond maybe the 10 or 12 year point if you don't have at least a master's degree. And, uh, and the Air Force said, hey, you know, we have our own graduate engineering program. It's a school called the Air Force Institute of Technology uh, right there in Dayton, Ohio. And uh, they said, well, you have a math undergraduate degree, so we'll let you do uh, a master's degree in operations research, which uh, I said, okay. And then I had to look up what operations research meant because <laughs> I wasn't familiar with the term, right? And, and, and for those who don't know, it's, it's, it's a field of like applied mathematics where you take math and statistics and, and uh, similar uh, techniques and you apply them to solve problems, like real world problems in, let's say, transportation or manufacturing or military issues, you name it, sales. Um, and... Uh, so I started that program. It was a very fast 18 month master's program. Uh, and so when I did that, I was still on active duty. I was still wearing my uniform, but my job every day for 18 months was to go to graduate school. So it was a fantastic opportunity uh, to get paid and to have my school paid for at the same time. So I, I, I made it through that program and, um, and then I was sort of reassigned uh, into a third career field, which was called operations research analyst. So today we might think of that as like an analytics person or a data analyst or a business analyst or business analytics person, something like that. Um, and uh, so I was sent off then to uh, Peterson Air Force Base, which is in Colorado Springs, Colorado, which 
was the, at the time, the headquarters for Air Force Space Command. That headquarters has now become its own separate military branch called the U.S. Space Force. And I worked in an analysis division there that uh, uh, we kind of did modeling and, and uh, computer modeling and simulation of future uh, space systems. So think of future satellites and that sort of thing. So some pretty high tech stuff uh, using those skills in programming and math and statistics and uh, computer modeling to try to determine what are the best weapon systems we should have in the future without spending all the money and building prototypes now to only find out that they wouldn't really work. Uh, so I worked with some super smart people there, um, folks who were involved in investigating uh, the space shuttle crash that was uh, that had happened around that time. I mean, these were one deep world experts. I really felt like a fish out of water. Uh, just didn't quite feel like I was up to the uh, level that these folks were, but it amazes me uh, the folks that we have in government and in the military and, and, and the kind of problems they're solving. So uh, that kind of really kept my interest in academics. And I said, well, you know, maybe I should look on to, to further academics. And a friend of mine that I was working with said, hey, right up the road, 20 minutes is the Air Force Academy, which uh, as your uh, as your listeners would probably know, Ronan is a, it's an undergraduate school, a four-year undergraduate school where you once you come out, then you're commissioned in the Air Force or now also the Space Force uh, as an officer, just like in ROTC. Um, and, uh, but they have to have folks who teach up there. So um, I went up there and interviewed for a teaching position while I'm still active duty at the time and was accepted to come teach in the math department. And uh, they said, well, we'll bring you in uh, to teach math, but uh, first we want you to go get a PhD. And I and I after that after that tough master's program, I really didn't have any intention of going back to school, uh, just like a lot of folks who are undergrads say, I am never going back to college again. Right. But, uh, you know, you never know what's going to happen in the future. And uh, I thought, wow, what a great opportunity. Now, they said I could go back to school for three years, get paid my salary, still be on active duty, earning credit towards retirement and earning a Ph.D. for free. Now, I'm not saying that's easy to do. But I looked ahead and said, you know, maybe this will open some doors for me in the future. So um, then, then the difficult choice at that point was to figure out where to go to school. So uh, as I mentioned, I'm a Penn State grad as an undergraduate, and so is my wife. And she said, hey, if we went back to Penn State, would you be able to get us football tickets? And I said, you bet. Uh, so while a lot of people will go to schools based on uh, – the reputation of a particular researcher or professor that they'd like to work at or a special specialty area that they'd like to do research in. Um, my rationale was um, Saturdays in Beaver Stadium because I knew what that experience was and that brought me back. And oh, by the way, Penn State's a pretty good school. Uh, so we came back for three years and I worked in the uh, industrial engineering department on a, on a PhD in uh, IE and operations research, which was kind of like more of what I had done as a as a master's student. Uh, finished that program in three years. And by the way, those three years were awesome, right? To be back on campus, um, no longer as an 18-year-old, but now kind of as an adult, I had kids, I had a house and two cars. Like I was like a real person at this point, you know, like I felt like an adult 
And I was, but I was back on campus going to classes again uh, at a place that, that I loved, that I, you know, I really grew up in. So uh, uh, I finished that program and then went right back to Colorado and taught there in the Air Force Academy for four years in the math department. And I taught a, a variety of um, uh, statistics and operations research related courses and loved it. Um, I was also the faculty advisor for the women's tennis team out there. And I traveled around the country with, with their division one women's tennis team as a sort of like a PR specialist or a, a military rep for the team. And that was a blast that got me out of the classroom and, and it got me to see the other side of what those students, those cadets might experience when they're not in the classroom. So I had a great time. Uh, then it was time after four years to leave Colorado again. And I went back into the intelligence career field. Uh, so kind of went back to my origins in uh, the Northern Virginia area and spent a couple of years uh, doing some really neat stuff again, a lot of travel, which I really enjoyed. Uh, and then Ronan, at this part, um, uh, I started getting to that age where my kids were getting into middle school and I was starting to think a little bit of, more about them than myself. And I, I don't mean that to sound so noble, but I started to look ahead a few years, which sometimes is hard for us to do. And I said, okay, if I take another job in the Air Force, and this one was gonna be overseas in an embassy, which I had wanted to, uh, what's that mean for my kids? And it meant they were gonna have to move again. Uh, my daughter would probably have to finish high school at a, at a new school. So do her senior year at a completely new high school. And you can imagine that's probably not uh, the first choice for every you know, high school senior to do. Um, so I turned down that, that job opportunity and I said, okay, if I can find me a teaching job or some other job up in state college, uh, that's where I'm going. Because my wife and I, our hearts were in state college. We wanted to come back to Happy Valley. We'd had two stints here and, and wanted to make it permanent. And uh, sure enough, got a teaching job in, uh, in Smeal College of Business, uh, was offered that position. And I said, yep, let's do it. It's kind of scary. It's a huge life change when you, when you kind of walk away from one career uh, to start a new one. But uh, we did it. And here we are. Now I'm on your show. <laughs> so first of all, got to say, the resume is tremendous <laughs> before anything fun. else <laughs> yeah no Thanks. but that's what that's what i like about um like you have this upbeat attitude about it and like you were saying you know you have to take a real big pivot in your life and that's something that people have trouble doing it's that part of you know getting a little bit uncomfortable rather than doing the same thing that you you're taught to do over and over and over again and i like that you were able to make that transition and you know, maybe it wasn't what you thought was going to happen. Like, obviously, like you said, you loved working, you know, for the military and the, you know, intelligence office and all these things, but you took a little pivot into now I'm a professor at Penn State, which is something that you probably didn't think you were going to do 10 years before. And something else that I want to touch on is that when you were saying that, you know, I was this middle uh, 20 year old to uh, late 20 year old and you were working with, you know, almost a billion dollars yeah. and that you felt like you were, um, you weren't like up to that standard. But what I think is that that's what's cool about, you know, professions and just like businesses in general is that 
I think that more and more today that people think of age as just a number rather than, you know, anything else. Now, granted, if you are older, you have more experience, more, you're more wise, all of that jazz. Like it's just, you know, you've been here longer more than anything else. But what's interesting is that they had the, you know, the trust in you to be able to, you know, manage this. And I'm sure at, at most times it felt like the weight of the world was on your shoulders working with that much money. Right. Yeah, right. Right. But the thing that you're able to do is, you know, I'm sure that, you know, that stress that, I mean, dude, that stresses anyone out. Right. You know, it, we're all human at the end of the day. That's a lot of money unless you're Jeff Bezos, but yeah. um, you're able to manage that with all these different moving pieces. So how did you think that the balance between all these and it, at, at like multiple times in, in your life, in your career uh, or professional career that you had the, you're juggling like 15 things at once. How are you able to do that? That's a good question, Ronan. You know, at, at, at this point, uh, like these points you're talking about in my, in my career, I was starting to build a family. And so now not only am I juggling my job, but I'm juggling family, just like a lot of students have relationships in school and they're trying to juggle your personal life uh, and balance things out uh, with your academic life. That, that doesn't stop when you leave college. Um, uh, the stakes get maybe a little bit higher because you've got to perform well in your job to stay in your job. Uh, but uh, not everyone can, can, you know, do that balance act, balancing act very well and you have to work at it. Uh, so you can, you can throw a hundred percent of yourself into your job. Uh, but if you're leaving your family and your friends in the dust, you know, it's not really doing you any good. So uh I'll give you an example of, of, of a balancing act. When I was in grad school in the Air Force, I can remember uh, uh, coming home in the evening around dinner time and helping my wife with dinner. And uh, we had our first child and he was just a, a month or two old, um, helping to bathe him and maybe spend a couple minutes with him before his bedtime. And then hanging out with my wife, who was exhausted from taking care of this baby. Uh, and then she would go to bed kind of early. And then I would pack up and go back to school. Um, so I would try to give them my time that I could. But then as soon as they were kind of put to bed, let's say 9, 930, um, I would head back to school and I'd work till 12, 1, 2 in the morning, just like you often do as an undergrad. Um, I had to get the work done. Right. You know, I was getting paid to do this and earn my degree and I had to do it. But I didn't want to go straight through and not see my family. So I'd get back and two in the morning, tiptoe into the house, crawl in bed, and then wait for the baby to start crying and, and get up and help in the middle of the night. And, and that's a balancing act that, uh, you know, not everyone um, uh, will, will build a family and, and not everyone will do it at the same time. But there are other aspects of your professional, academic, and personal lives that I think it's just really important to try to balance. And it's not like I went through that part of my life saying, okay, today I'm going to really work on balancing my life, right? I mean, you don't, we don't always pause to think that way. Uh, that sounds very textbook and, and, and sort of uh, life coach-ish, right? You just, you do your thing, right? You do what's making you happy and you do what you know you have to do, uh, just like you, like you deal with your day-to-day -day life. And so um, I don't know if we always know when we're learning, right? You're just going through life. Like right now during this podcast, Ronan, we're both learning something. We don't really know what it is yet, but maybe in a month we look back and, oh yeah, it was really cool. Here's what I got out of it. Um, so now I look back at 
yeah, here's how I learned how to balance part of my life back then. Um, and, and you always try to do that. I mean, if you want to have healthy relationships and be successful professionally and academically, you have to maintain that balance. And, and that's just one example of where I can remember it being a struggle for sure, but, you know, making it through. Yeah. And everyone's, you know, everyone's doing different things at the same time. That's what I think a lot of people, I'm a big Gary Vaynerchuk guy. So he goes like, you just figure it out on your own pretty much. Like it's whatever you're going to do, you're going to do. It's not that you can figure out how to do everything in your day. If you really like all the things that you're doing, if you're not, you're going to, you know, slack off on one of them, not want to do this. You're going to be miserable when you get home. And then it's not fair for everyone. You know, no one's having a good time at that point, but that's, what's very interesting about, you know, balancing your life. And I like asking that question to a lot of people that, you know, juggle a lot of things because it's a, it's a different story for everyone. You know, how I learned to do this, how I learned to do that. What did I, you know, what, how do I, you know, cope with, you know, doing school, doing teaching, you know, having a family and all this and everyone's at different stages of their life. And I just think like, that's a really interesting thing that people need to like, listen to it at least because, you know, Hey, professor solo can do it. Maybe I can give this a shot. Maybe this will work for me. Maybe I can apply this to my life. And that's what's very interesting. Also probably being a supply management teacher helps with that as well. I didn't even think about that, you know, managing (laughs) how to, how to put certain things in different, uh, in order to work as efficiently as possible. But right. um, something else that I want to ask you is like, how, how do you like your job now compared to what you did before? Yeah, you know, I, I love it, Ronan. It's different. Um, and when I retired from the military, everyone told me, you know, it's going to be a big change. Uh, it's a big change for everyone just getting out of that, that sort of family and that organization. Like I talked about when I started in ROTC at 18, I felt like I had joined a group with a mission and it's a family. And it was like that the whole time, even though I crossed uh, through all those different uh, military assignments that I kind of rattled off to you. It was always the same, the same organization, right? We were just different people and we were in different locations doing uh, a variety of different jobs in my case. Uh, and, and now um, it is different, um, but I love it. Uh, and, and I tell you, the thing I love most about my job right now is, again, I don't mean to sound uh, cliche about it, but helping, helping young people kind of find their way, uh, and introducing them to new things. So for instance, I teach supply chain management 301. Uh, it's a course that every student in SMEAL takes. Uh, most of the students I think coming into the class don't know anything about it. They might've heard something from a roommate or a friend, and then, uh, they get into the class and they start to see there's all this stuff that they didn't even know was out there in the business world. Um, we cover a lot of topics in that course, kind of a survey course. And sure enough, at the end of almost every semester when I teach that course, I have students coming up to me saying, I didn't even know this stuff existed. And I think it's really cool. And I think I found what I'm interested in. And, you know, in some cases, I'm changing my major. And, and I'm not out to recruit. I mean, that's not my job. But uh, that's pretty exciting when students start to find something that, you know, they're really excited about. And that makes the job very fulfilling, right? Not writing exams, not grading, okay, but interacting with students like you and I are doing, or like I do during office hours, or even in the classroom. And uh, it's, I've always interacted with people in my job, that was always part of my job. But now I'm in a kind of a different role, similar to what I was doing when I taught at the Air Force Academy, which, of course, gave me a little bit of 
um, the background I needed to find my way into my current job. But uh, if you ask me what my favorite part is, it's interacting with the students and sort of opening things up for students and helping them sort of explore. Now, in my particular role, what's out there in the business world, or maybe more specifically, what supply chain management is about. I also teach graduate level uh, business analytics courses. So I do the same sort of thing there with graduate students, sort of open things up to them and, and then they go and explore and figure it out. I don't know what all is out there, but I can at least maybe nudge the door open a little bit for students. And yeah, that's what's nice about, I, I think it's just a general human, you know, human nature to have this feeling that like, if I help someone, it's like a good feeling on the inside, at least to me, I, I, I don't want to speak for everyone, but there is some sense of, you know, internal feeling of good when you do help other people out. And that's what like the role of a professor is or teacher, high school teacher, and more than anything else, you know, at the end of the day, grades are grades, numbers are numbers. You want your students to learn, obviously, but nonetheless, you want to be able to help them out. Cause like we were saying before, college is a weird time for a lot of people. If they need help. I'm going to try and offer it to them. I'm going to do whatever I can, at least in my ability to help that student do whatever they do. Something else that uh, I want to touch on before um, we wrap this up is so teaching at Penn state, why do you like teaching at Penn state so much rather than, you know, in the air force Academy, is it a real different environment compared to that? Oh, sure. It's, there's a stark difference between the two. I mean, that the air force Academy was a very rigid academic experience for students. Uh, you know, they're in their uniforms every day when they go to class. It's very small class sizes. I typically had just 20 to 30 students in a class um, in all the classes I taught. And, uh, and those students also have to balance what they're doing there uh, academically with all of their military duties. So they all have jobs within their military structure in the academy, just like all of the other service academies do. And those students, uh, uh, when I, when I talk to Penn State students and they start to say, oh, I'm so busy, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I say, hey, let me tell you something. You can do it because I've seen students do this and a lot of other stuff. Uh, so, you know, the, the, what's different about it and why I like being at Penn State? Uh, well, part of it is I feel like I came home. Uh, you know, I started here like you, I think, when I was 18, uh, 18 to 21 or 22, I guess. Um, and, uh, you know, that's a big, big time of when you're growing up and you're kind of really developing into the adult that you're going to be because uh, you're transitioning. You know, think about it. You transition from high school to the working world post-college, right? It's that four-year period, maybe five or six years for some students, um, but you make that transition. And um, uh, I get to come back to that and I'm teaching students uh, and I can talk to them and say, look, I went to school here. I know what this experience can be like, right? I know what different classes are like. I've sat in some of the same the same classrooms that I now teach in, uh, which is a little bit weird at times, you know, because I can remember myself as an 18 or 19 year old student sitting in the same, uh, the same room uh, that I'm now uh, teaching a class in. So I think uh, a big part of what I like is that I can relate to the students here. You know, this is like home to me. It means a lot to me. 
And I think my students find that I'm passionate about Penn State and passionate about teaching here. And, uh, and that makes the job great. Um, that's, yeah, I mean, that's what keeps me here. Uh, I get a little bit of a paycheck too, you know, I mean, you got to have that to put some food on the table, but, but what job could I have that's better than, than the one I have? I mean, I'm, I'm back at home. I'm teaching students who are kind of following in footsteps that I was in years ago. Uh, and I enjoy it. Yeah. It's like, uh, you're, you're the very definition of being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes because you've done it before. And that's what like, you know, the whole, you know, definition of empathy and being empathetic is and understanding that, oh, I understand where you are because I did the same thing. Like here, maybe I can help you with this. Maybe it's, you know, maybe you got to switch this up. Maybe you're doing too much or whatever it may be. And that's what's, that's what's cool about a lot of professors because they understand where you were because they did the same thing, you know, however long ago it may be. Sure. And they're able to help you out, you know, not only in the academic process, like we were talking about before, you know, if there's something going on, like, you know, how do I manage doing this class in this class? And I want to double major. And like, how do you feel about this? All these different possibilities that come with college and that you're able to, you know, give a little bit of an insider insight on what that's going to look like and how you can maybe structure it a little bit better in senses of that. But Professor Solo, before we wrap this up, I like to ask this question to all my guests to end the show. What is one piece of wisdom that you want to pass on to the listeners out there? Yeah, sure, Ronan. Um, I, I think I share this with my students all the time, especially when they're at, at students who are in, in college as undergraduates. They're often trying to find their way, trying to figure out what it is that they want to do with their futures because they're working really hard right now in classes uh, to be successful. But sometimes they don't quite know what it is they want to be successful at. It's tough. It's tough to come out of high school and be in a position all of a sudden where you have to pick the field that potentially you're going to do for the next five, 10 or 30 years. Uh, and, and, you know, you were just a minute ago, a senior in high school. So I, I often give this advice to my students in that position. I say, look, when you're looking for that thing for you, find something that, that, that meets these two needs. First, find something that you're passionate about, okay? If you find something you're passionate about, you're gonna love it. No matter what the situation is, you're gonna do well at it and it's gonna be enjoyable. And then find, find something that not only are you passionate about, but maybe it puts a little bit of food on the table for you, right? I mean, we all have to kind of support ourselves, maybe support families. So if you find something that you're passionate about, and you can get a, a good wage or a salary from at the same time, which isn't necessarily the most important thing, okay? But it is a necessity. I mean, we have to take care of ourselves and our families. Uh, if you find that thing, you've got it, right? You'll be happy. It might not be the highest paying job, might not be the, the sexiest career field, might not be the greatest location, but if you're able to take care of yourself financially and feed yourself and your family and how, you know, take care of all those basic needs, uh, and you found something like really passionate about, whether it's marketing or engineering or flying or whatever it ends up being, uh, you'll be happy. And uh, I'm passionate about teaching and I love it. So I'm going to keep doing it as long as I can, as long as it keeps me happy. And, and I think if you try that uh, in your search for whatever it is that you're looking for while you're in school and beyond, okay, um, I think you'll be happy find your passion, 
make sure you're having fun with it and also make sure they can, you know, put a nice steak dinner on the table every once in a while. Even if it's not a steak dinner, Ronan, I mean, you got to put some kind of dinner on the table, right? Hey, beans and rice are fine by me. You bet. (laughs) All right, Professor Scholler, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It really does mean a lot. Um, Is there anything that you want to plug before, you know, we go on with the rest of our day? I think I've said, I think I've said it all. Like, uh, you know, those last words of advice, find a passion. And if you don't know how to find that passion, use this time uh, to explore, right? If you're in school, join those groups and those organizations and kind of get out there out of your comfort zone. Uh, try something that you maybe were never familiar with before. Uh, you'll meet new folks. You'll, you'll have some new experiences. If you don't like it, then, then stop doing that, right? And then shift gears, try something different. And eventually, hopefully, you'll find that passion. Uh, it might take a day. It might take four years. It might take 10 years. But you can't stop because that's going to, I think, bring you happiness. And, and, and I'll, leave you, I'll leave you with that, Ruben. Professor Shola, I love it. Again, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Guys, that's it for another episode of the Ronan Bell Show. I hope you guys are getting through whatever you're getting through. Have a good rest of your day. And as always, y'all just keep on keeping on.